it's important to, you know, get diverse workforce, but the people need to have the right skill sets, the right competency, aptitude. Um, They need to have that basic knowledge as well. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Well, welcome, Jackie. I'm really excited to have you on the show today because I I actually have known you for a while. And I think my very first cybersecurity event was down in Melbourne that I spoke at. And I think this has gone back 2016 days. And I really loved how you presented, how you spoke. And I've always wanted to get you on the show, but I think, you know, things happen and time gets away. And I know that you're sort of doing things a little bit differently now. So I'm really keen to talk about a few things today. But before we dive on into that, I'd love to get your thoughts on your journey. So where you sort of started and like, what's that career path look like to what you're doing now? Thanks for having me on the show, Carissa. It's been really great. I remember that first panel that we were together as well. Um, it was a very long time ago, but um, it seems like when I started in technology was a really long time ago as well. So I was really lucky that my parents always were into technology, so I was around it quite a lot. And so much so that my parents would actually force me to touch type every single day. And if I didn't do that, then I'd actually be grounded. So I became a really fast touch typer. And during, yeah, and during school, it, it was really useful because, you know, when you're writing essays and when you're, you're doing different things, it, um, I was a really fast typer. So when it came to the time when people were saying, okay, what do you want to do? Um, because I'd been around computers quite a lot. I was studying computer uh, studies at school. And because I was quite a fast typer, I decided to get into technology. So that's how I got into, into IT. The other opportunity that I got was to be able to do work experience at Australia Post uh, and they put me through kind of like a, a little rotation so I got exposure to the different areas of, of IT and the great thing was that they offered me a part-time job when I was studying at university so I got to really apply what I was learning at university and apply it to what I was doing um, at my job which was quite cool. So Having that opportunity to do that was really great. And then when I left university, I became a Unix administrator. So I was I was there for a year and a half. And then I kind of got itchy feet. I know that you probably have the same thing, but I wanted to travel. So I decided to go to Europe and I worked at a help desk there for a few years. And when I um, was actually there, they saw um, some potential in me and they offered for me to run their help desk in Ireland or to join their accelerated consulting program. So they were basically taking um, really smart people from all big engineering companies internationally and retraining them to be consultants. So what we did was we went through six weeks of really intensive training. So we did our CCNA, learning about networking. We went through a heap of training um, to teach us about security how to do project management, how to, um, you know, uh, all the Microsoft certifications as well was a big element of it as well. So by the end of it, we had done all this really intensive training and then had to do the certifications. So very quickly they were building up this kind of, you know, skill set in these people. 
And so from there, they then asked us whether or not we wanted to do networking or security. So then I chose security. Um, and that's where my security career kind of started. So it was over in London when I was working there. So I worked on some really awesome projects there, implementing stuff, building stuff, writing documents, talking to customers and doing lots of traveling as well. And I did that for seven years and even got to work at the Athens Olympics, which was really cool. That was one of my favorite moments and working um, to secure one of the European Commission war rooms and doing risk assessments and um, really getting a really broad exposure to different areas of security, which was really great. And after being in London for seven years, I then moved to Paris for seven years and did consulting over there as well. And then seven years ago, I came back to Australia. Um, so I keep saying it, 777. Yeah, I was going to say 777 <laughs> after seven yeah. years. Well, they do say after seven years, you make some like substantial shift. I don't know, maybe it's something I read a while back. Time for change. Yeah, possibly. Um, at the moment, though, I've been seven years in Australia. And I don't think I'm looking to move yet. So <laughs> maybe um, I found what I want to do over here in Australia. So when I was in Australia, I uh, I actually got transferred with my company that I was working at in, in Paris to Australia. And then I moved to ANZ after my maternity leave. And I worked um, in three different departments at ANZ. So I worked in the identity access management team, doing some implementation there. Then I, I moved into the cybercrime team for the in-space space at ANZ, which I really loved. And then the, the last job that I did at ANZ was to work um, as head of the security and culture team there with Erica Harding in a job share position. So while I was over there, I, you know, really started to get into the cybercrime space and I saw that small businesses really needed help. So I had this kind of, you know, passion for, okay, what can we do to really help these small businesses because they really needed help and that a lot of them don't have awareness, they didn't have, um, a lot of them don't have that basic um, hygiene when it comes to cybersecurity. So I, I looked for a company that I could, you know, go work for. So I found Cinch Security after that. And that was two weeks before lockdown. So my whole time pretty much with Cinch was during lockdown over here. And during that time, that was great because they really gave me really flexible working and I got to work on lots of different things going from, you know, a big corporate into a startup is, is a really great experience. I got to work on lots of different things and, um, I, I really enjoyed working there. But what happened during that time was that the AWSN, the Australian Women in Security Network, which I'm the founder of, started to uh, gain a bit of momentum. So I was finding it very difficult to be able to manage the home life, manage, you know, working at a startup and AWSN. And I just felt like I wasn't doing everything well. So mm. I knew that something had to change. And that's why I've now recently moved to doing AWSN full time. So how long have you been doing that for now? Because I think we spoke, what, two or three months back and it's already it's already popped up to do our interview. So you've been doing this for like four months, five months? Yeah, four or five months now. Yes. Wow. That's yes. gone so quickly. Have you seen, when you said before you're trying to juggle all these things, I totally relate. Have you seen that you feel a bit more balanced now? I do because I can focus on one thing. Um, for the last seven years working on the AWSN, I was working um, and doing AWSN at night time and on weekends, which was really, really tough. And now it's really great. I remember the first day I was doing it during the day. I was like, wow, it's so great to do AWSN during the daylight um, hours, <laughs> which <laughs> um, makes it a lot easier, that's for sure. And because now 
I I do what my it's it's my I can I can work around my hours as well, so I can work around flexibly, um, and that's been really great in terms of the balance. So from your story, you've had quite an extensive, uh, I guess, career working in Sydney, London, Paris. Uh, and you've probably seen a fair few things change. And I think when we were sort of speaking last time, I'm not even sure how the conversation popped up, but I think some of the things you're doing in AWSN, you want to have a focus on, as we discussed, getting more women into the space, which is a very topical conversation which occurs in the industry. But then you sort of went on the other side of that, like, yeah, I kind of get bringing people into the space, but how do we sort of retain them? So I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on it because AWSN is focused predominantly around women uh, and you've been in this game for a while so I'd really be keen to sort of unpack like what you're sort of seeing and just give us the honest real and raw viewpoint on, on what the reality is. So first of all the reason why I started the AWSN was um, I, I literally had walked into a conference and I saw that I was pretty much the only female in the room and I just didn't understand why there weren't more women um, in this really amazing um, career. So that's when I then started the AWSN. So we started to do like different events and I've been working very hard over the last seven years to build that interest to um, with our Davidson Cadet Program, we're also developing people that have just started out in security and what's happened over the last few years is I've realised, okay, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm doing a, a pretty good job or okay job at getting people attracted to security. But what's happened is that some of the women have been leaving. So um, a lot of what of our strategy is for the next couple of years is, okay, what, do we, what can we do to retain the women that are actually in security today? Because um, to build the pipeline is obviously a very important part of it. But if we find that a lot of the women um, are coming into it, getting interested in it, and then are leaving, then that's, um, you know, it's not a very efficient use of time and energy and money, etc. So what we're finding is that, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, government grants and um, programs out there are really great. They're really important. But what I guess the thing that's kind of missing sometimes with these programs is that kind of end-to-end and long-term, I guess, um, outlook. So when it comes to that, you know, start, middle and, you know, the upper management, um, making sure that there's a cohesive kind of um, pathway into each of those different areas and they're all kind of tackled um, in in a coordinated type way. So uh, what we're finding is that there's a lot of different reasons why um, women are also leaving. I mean, it's not, and what I want to also mention is that a lot of the the challenges that we're experiencing isn't just for women in security. It can be women in tech. It can be women in a lot of male-dominated um, fields. But what I always talk about is that I can't change the world in terms of every company that's out there. But what we can do is we can try to influence it in our particular industry and the people that we're working because you know we can hopefully influence the organizations that we work with to to make a difference and try to move that dial I guess so you know some of those challenges which I think we talked about um, a couple of months ago was that you know they have there's different things that happen so you know 
Um, a lot of people will at one point have families, so they need to obviously, you know, take some time off to then look after their family and then um, want to re-enter into the workforce. And re-entering that workforce, um, you know, it's really important to allow for flexible ways of working so then the, you know, the, the mother or the father can take time off to be with their family. And I always talk about how it should be flexible working for any kind of, you know, um, person that wants to take time off for family or for life choices because if you don't provide it for males as well, it means that it's it's not possible for a female to take time off. So if you're not going to allow the male to be able to spend time with his family because he might want to spend time with the family and let, you know, the, the wife actually look after the family, then it's not going to work. So it needs to be equal for, for everyone who wants to actually take that time off and, and spend time with the family and work. That's one thing. And, um, you know, the other thing is that in our in a lot of male-dominated fields, and I'm, I'm, it happens also when it's the other way around, when there's actually a majority of one particular type of, you know, ethnicity or, um, you know, um, gender, it naturally kind of happens where, you know, it, it makes it really difficult for the person that's a little bit different to be in that team. So what we find is that if, um, you know, there's only one female in a team, it can be quite um, challenging sometimes. Um, not all of the time, like I was often the only female and I was really lucky because um, a lot of my colleagues were really great, but I do know and recognise the fact that there are many, many companies and um, teams that that is not the case when it comes to certain, you know, team, team dynamics. So, you know, we have a, a culture problem, I guess, in terms of, well, I would say culture challenge. It, it's a culture challenge something we need to recognize and something that companies need to be conscious of that it could happen and that if you see that you know females are leaving a particular team um, it could be something that's going on in that team dynamic that's not quite working for you know females that might have been in that team so other than the family side of things as to why women would potentially leave the industry and then come back what do you think are some of the other reasons that you're sort of seeing? For people leaving? Oh, so the other reason was about the, so family is one of them. The other reason is because the culture or the toxicity is really hard. Um, the other thing is um, not being able to see a career path or prospects. So a lot of the time they might not have that opportunity to step up into leadership positions and a lot of the time that is um, not because I couldn't do it, is it's often a confidence thing or it could be that other people in the team, um, they just don't feel that they can do it. Um, and also, you know, sometimes we think, oh, someone's going to ask me um, to go for this particular role. Or they don't even know that that role exists. It's not even offered to them. So there's a whole range of different reasons why, you know, that pathway up into the upper levels of leadership um, aren't fueled by many women as well. And, um, yeah, so it's culture, it's working conditions in terms of, you know, um, having flexible working, but it's also um, keeping their, them um, interested and 
knowing that if it doesn't work out for a particular area of security, that there are other areas of security that are out there. So, for example, some of the women that are in our network, they are in particular area of security and they have a, maybe a really bad experience and they go, no, security is not for me. But they don't realise that there's other areas of security that may that the skill sets that they've learnt from that particular job are very transferable to another area of security um, that they may not even know about. So it's that kind of awareness of these are the other roles that are out there um, and these are some other incredible people that are working in that space that you could possibly go and, and follow in their footsteps. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to sort of just press on a little bit on the toxic culture side of things. Now, I have seen a lot of people in this space probably after the, the maybe the last 12 months sort of diving into this. What do you sort of mean when you say that? Like, is it that there's it feels like men versus women or is it women versus women? Or what, what are some of the things that you're predominantly seeing when people are speaking like that? So toxic behaviour, I feel it's, it's, it's not just men, um, you know, being untowards towards women. It can actually be, you know, female. There's some female leaders also that may not be, um, you know, empathetic or, you know, um, good leaders as well. I think it's both sides. But it's the toxic behaviour is about, um, you know, people not respecting others in their team and not listening to others, not being um, showing empathy in terms of, you know, certain conditions or, or certain opinions and listening to others um, and undermining people uh, as well. And that's not very, you know, it's good, not, good, not good for business as well because obviously these people, um, we have very talented people that are actually in the industry and if they're leaving because of this kind of culture that they don't feel very comfortable to be able to speak out or to raise something, then it makes it really difficult for them to want to stay and they, they end up leaving. Absolutely, and I don't blame them. Like, no one wants to be in an environment like that. And I've definitely left companies before because of the toxicity that existed and I didn't want to be around it. Yes, that's true, exactly. And the thing is, um, I've, I've also spoken to a few people that don't even realise, I guess, that they're in a toxic environment and that identification is probably a really um, key thing. They don't, they think that, especially um, people that might, it might be their first job, they don't realise that that's not normal as well. Yeah, so some people, it's not until you speak to somebody else and go, oh, well, actually, that's that wasn't right. And, you know, a lot of people realise it a few years later and go, wow, okay, that really did affect me. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, it, it, it really um, starts to help, um, affect their mental health as well. And when that starts to affect your personal life, that is is when it's not it's not on. So we're actually going to be uh, myself and uh, with AWCN, Asaka, IC Squared, Cyber Day of the Month, and uh, uh, IC Squared are coming together to do an event actually next month um, on the twenty first of July called Cyber Shift. And what that event is is on the back of the event that we did at Cyber called Culture Shock last year, um, we did an event, Asaka at AWSN, um, this year at the International Women's Day on Toxic Culture, and now we're going to be doing this event because, you know, we've been having this conversation about, you know, and trying to raise awareness of, you know, this type of challenge. But what we really want to do is to um, shine the light on it and to work out, okay, what are the tangible things that 
people as individuals, as managers, as organisations, what can they tangibly do to try and change this? Because what we see is that it's possible. Like there's, I, I see like especially small businesses and startups, they actually start from the beginning of building a really great culture. Um, when I was in that kind of, I was only there for like a year and a half, I guess, in the startup scene, but all the organisations that the, the startups that I got in contact with, a lot of them start with that policy of, um, you know, it's the no um, dickhead policy, um, we want diversity from the beginning, and they actually build that culture from the start. So, you know, and it's really great that they, they do that um, and they recognise that it, it actually is good for business to, be, to do that because you want to keep the good people. Absolutely. And I think that that's really important. And I think that's probably part and part of the reason why I went out on my own and wanted to foster a a culture that that didn't have the elements that I had experienced in my career. But when we speak about toxic culture, because I've been involved in it myself, where do you think that sort of comes from? Like, does it come from someone's insecurity? Does it come from a, a naivety that they don't know how to lead? They don't know how to be empathetic to people? Like, it just feels like we seem to be incubating these these environments for people that it, that are toxic, and then as a result of that, we're losing really good talent just due to real basic things that we we could change to improve the experience that people have with working in these organisations. I think it's um, when there's one person that dominates maybe a team or a conversation. Um, some people may I've heard actually. Um, somebody's in a team meeting and one person actually says something that they go, oof, that, was a, that wasn't appropriate to say that, but they don't actually say something. Some people just don't have the confidence to speak out and call somebody up on it. And I think that's just a, I don't know if it's a Australian thing, but we're all, you know, we're all, we don't want to rock the boat, I guess, with some of this stuff. And I guess um, you don't want people to think, okay, that person is, um, I don't know. Retaliating back or sort of yes, create, exactly. arcing up a bit. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been in that position of arcing up against people that I think were not operating as well as they could be. And then, then you start getting a target on your own back, right? Cause and like, Oh, exactly. that KB chick seems to complain a little bit. And it's like, well, I don't really like what's happening here. And I know that everyone thinks the same because we'd all after the meeting go around and talk about what's going on, but then everyone felt afraid. Correct. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I think that unless we start to, um, and, and what we usually say to people is that if somebody looks like they've been attacked, you need to almost look at somebody in the room and say, okay, let's do something about this. Cause then if you're got almost safety numbers in it, I guess, in a way where you speak up and then somebody else will mimic and basically reinforce that, that, that kind of wasn't okay. That, that what you just said, or, hang on a second, just listen to what um, this person is saying. Um, and if you think that that person has merit in what they're actually talking about, but they look like that they're struggling to to express it just because maybe they don't have confidence because they've been, you know, battered down because mm. everything that they try to bring up as an idea isn't, isn't a good idea in the eyes of some people, um, then you should um, respectfully not try to take their idea but to try and help them in terms of, you know, um, you know, Jessica, that, that's a really great um, idea. I really agree with that. Like I think that X, Y, Z is a great idea to, to do this. And how about we do it this way? And 
just to reinforce what that person's saying because then it just gives them that extra confidence to go, okay, someone has my back and, you know, um, I've got heard. Absolutely. So would you say that a sizer or CTO or CIO, they've got enough on their plate and then all of a sudden HR or someone's coming to them saying you're fostering a toxic environment. Well, not so you're not so much them fostering it, but there is starting to uh, grow a toxic environment between other staff members, right? So, one, do you think that they're aware, but they're just so flat out that they're like, I don't have time to deal with this? And then, two, is that a pretty hard pill for them to swallow? So, over the years, I feel that a lot of organisations are actually seeing the benefit of diversity, which is great. Like I have a lot of people that I used to these I used to go on so many panels saying why is diversity important now it's organizations and you know um, executives that come and say I want to increase the number of women in my team I want to um, retain women in school what can I actually do so the conversation I feel is changing which is really great not every company but I'm seeing that a lot more now which I think is a really positive thing for our industry um, and that that is the first step. That the fact that they want to do something, I think, is is really really um, good. The second thing is that a lot of them do say that they go, I just don't know what to do to help, um, you know, increase it, but also to retain it. So um, when it comes to and and you have to think that also in a big company, you can't generalize to say one particular company is maybe bad. It could be one particular department or one particular team maybe within it as well it might not and and to generalize to say that whole company is toxic because you know certain things happen is really difficult but if it happens to a lot of people then you just question it and go okay well that there's definitely a culture problem which is why I was saying that if you see that there's a lot of people that are leaving you know question that like go wow okay we've just lost two incredible you know females I, I should really um, set up a, an exit interview just to find out what what's going on just to have a confidential discussion to just see if there's something that I can learn from or I should have done um, so I can prevent it or make sure that it doesn't happen another time mm, no absolutely and would you say though would you say it's genuine because I I feel that some people are genuine, but then I also feel that people are like diversity and I really care about it, but I feel like it's just lip service a bit uh, because there's a sense, sometimes when you're speaking to people, you can just get a sense of if they're not genuine about what they're saying or they don't really care, just how they deliver it, how they sort of, how they come across so I've seen both sides. So I definitely believe there are people that are genuine that want to make a difference, but I also think that people are just saying that because that's probably what their bosses expect them to say. So they sort of just go along with it. So what's your read on that? Yes, I've seen all those types. <laughs> um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, the fact now that companies have got um, the DEI programs um, means that, this kind of happens or 50-50 or there, as you say, the the top executives are asking them to, you know, get a more diverse team. And as you say, a lot of people still don't buy into that, I guess. Um, but what we need to do is to show them, um, and I guess maybe it's because uh, sometimes it's 
because they might not have seen people with, uh, they, they usually hire people that maybe are similar to them. So they don't know what it is like to have um, somebody that is different to them on the team, if that makes sense. So until they are maybe um, working with somebody that's a female or is from a diverse background, um, they might not buy into it, I guess. Um, and so what we're finding is that, yeah, companies are, when they have that 50-50, a lot of the time um, it can be, I have mixed opinions about, I guess, the quota thing because uh, when it comes to, you know, being a, a woman being employed for, you know, they say, oh, well, you just got that job because you're, a, you know, you're a tick in the box in terms of the diversity. And that can mm. be really hard on, on a female as well. Like, you know, a lot of us in senior management positions experience that. It's like, and, and we're like, but we actually deserve it. You know, we did it on Nerish. Um, and so sometimes um, that can be really um, hard for us as well. Um, but um, going back to your, your question, yeah, there are some, some companies that are out there that kind of, I guess, do it for uh, PR sake or because they're being pushed to do it. But do you know what? I, I think that in over time, once more females or more diverse people get into organisations and people that are right for the job, I always talk very much about um, it's important to, you know, get diverse workforce, but the people need to have the right skill sets, the right competency, aptitude. Um, they need to have that basic knowledge as well. The right person for the job is really important, but to look for at other pools of people that are different to yourself is really important. Um, and I think the fact that we're starting to put those policies in place increases the number of people that are actually in the organisation. So people just um, see what the benefits are. Until they kind of experience it, it can be kind of hard to, to accept it, if that makes sense. Of course. I'd like to just go back a step when you're talking about the CyberShift conference and shedding more of a light on these companies. So how would you sort of expect to see companies being held accountable that are that, that do have these toxic sort of cultures and environments? Are, we, are you guys going to be providing uh, sort of, a, like you said, tangible advice on that, but also where people can sort of, rather than talking about the issue, but more so cool, I know what I need to do to, to get this back on track again. Yeah, so the event is going to be uh, a series of different things. So the first one is Anjana Budge is going to give an overview of what um, she has. She's been doing a lot of study in this space, so she's going to give us a bit of a presentation on that. And then it's followed by a panel discussion with some leaders in this space. And then we have a work shop component uh, where we're going to be discussing uh, the different things that organizations can do and it's a series of different workshops so we've got one straight after this event on the 21st of July and off the back of that we are going to create um, you know a, a kind of like a pact or um, a series of different actions which we want people to take on and tangibly do and we're hoping that that will then start to cause momentum once we have, you know, some organisations that take this on and and show that they're making progress in this space, 
then it will then we're hoping that more companies will then come on board and try to adopt some of the things that we're suggesting. And as a result of doing this, would you say that going back to that genuine people being genuine as they as they're speaking publicly, would you start to see this problem fizzling out a little bit because we're starting to put a light on it, we're starting to not just talk about it, but provide solutions to the problem as well as perhaps people that were just giving the lip service, perhaps sort of backing away a little bit more? Or do you think over time, I don't want to say this problem will sort itself out, but by what the sort of initiatives that you guys are bringing to the table will help facilitate that? We hope so because you'll see that once some companies will start to make a difference and, you know, our industry is pretty small in a way, People talk about where the great places are to work. So I know that, unfortunately, some people in our network, you know, the only criteria for them is I want to work in a company which is not toxic. I mean, to have that as your only criteria is really heartbreaking for me. Um, Like it's not about the job itself or anything like that. It's about I just want to be in an organisation that is going to value my contribution. Um, And so what I think is going to happen is that, the good people are going to go to organisations which really genuinely believe in this and are doing something about it and the organisations that thought, okay, now this is all just a PR thing um, or genuinely don't believe in it will soon find themselves with not um, yeah, the, not having the, the high talent and the people that um, are talented in our, in our industry. Of course. And one of the things I'm curious about when we talk about women, if we just focus on women here for a second, in terms of like age brackets, would you say it's more predominantly uh, people of a higher age bracket that are leaving or lower or is it mixed? And you may not know that. I'm just trying to gauge. Like I'm trying to see perhaps maybe that's then underpinned because maybe people who are younger perhaps feel that they're not being heard at the table and therefore they, they don't feel listened to and then their confidence goes. So I'm, I'm just trying to perhaps sort of paint that picture in my head about what that could could sort of be attributed to. So it has been a mix um, from the people that I you know, have been speaking to about this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do some more studies on this as well. But um, and it is mixed. So, like, as you say, the, the people that are, are younger, they move to other areas because, you know, they can transition very quickly um, to another and, and kind of pivot to another area um, pretty quickly. Um, just having a couple of bad experiences, they, yeah, they, they don't take any of that and so they want to move um, somewhere different. Mid-career, it's, it's also the same. Like they often will come in and go, well, it's not actually somewhere that I want to be in this kind of environment, so they can um, often um, move out as well. So I, I don't, personally, I, personally I, don't, I don't think that there's a difference between whether or not it's entry or um, higher up, um, but there definitely are less when it comes to the very senior um, levels as we've seen there's not many sizes there's not many um, you know heads of department female representatives yeah it doesn't surprise me I think I mean even speaking in my sort of career it, it you had to sort of get to a stage you get pen, penetrate past that point where people overspoke you I was speaking about it publicly like people would treat me like 
the secretary and it's like, mm, well, you know, you shouldn't treat anyone like that, but I'm actually here to give you some advice on some security stuff, but okay. And there's sort of that very hard and, and fast stereotype on you. And I was in my early 20s when I started in cyber. So for me, I had to have an... I was swimming upstream constantly. And I think now I've sort of seen definitely in the last few years it change. Uh, but again, I had to sort of uh, have that resiliency there. But I am quite a resilient person. And it's hard because if I'm sitting there going, it's not been an easy road. I could just imagine what other people are going through with the things that they're experiencing. Definitely, no. And especially um, ones that might not um, feel very confident. It doesn't take very much for them to be knocked back. Um, and and if they're not very, you know, very resilient, you shouldn't have to be resilient with, you just want to get your job done and not have to worry about this stuff, right? <laughs> no, I, I completely. And, I, I, and I, I've spoken at conferences before about what people have said to me and I'm just thinking... I would never speak to someone like that in a million years, but I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to stay the course. That person will not matter and they don't matter now and I don't have to deal with them. But what you also see is that tables turn and people that perhaps saw you as, I don't know, the young junior are like, oh, you've sort of changed your value in terms of me and you sort of start to see the, the tables turn and where, that, where that's weighted, right? So I'm starting to see that as well and I think people kind of forget around that people move and, and go and do other things. And you may you may think that one day that that person frustrated you, but then you may end up working for them too, right? Because it is a small industry. Yes, exactly. No, I agree. And, um, you know, some people say that, it, you know, because we're in such a dynamic and kind of, kind of highly stressed industry, um, to be honest, like, you know, the pressure that we have, um, you know, we don't have time for any of this kind of thing. But, you know, then there's something else that's wrong with your your team, right? You need to make sure that their mental health is is intact because if they're acting out of character um, because they're, and they're not respecting or listening to other people and all that, there's something else that's, you know, you might need to, to get more people on board or help them in some other way, right? Um, and it's about those making sure that people are, kind of humble and, and the egos aren't brought to the, you know, the, the team and stuff like that as well, I think, which is another element of this as well, that, you know, we need to make sure that people feel comfortable enough to be able to ask questions because not everyone is an expert at everything. And as we know with security, it's changing all the time. So it's almost impossible to be an expert at absolutely everything. Um, and so they should really... Um, you know, respect what other people are bringing to the table because they might be an expert at something else that you don't know about and you might actually need their advice and their opinion and um, assistance with something one day. I totally agree. I'd like to just switch gears for a moment and there was a recent AFR article. I think someone actually tagged you in on LinkedIn, which is how I found out about it, but I read it and the cliff notes are that the the Morrison government has invested $100 million to increase women's participation in STEM through various programs. But there, of course, is still issues with generating the interest of women getting into STEM, which is part of why they've endorsed this initiative. But a lot of the stuff that, you know, I've been talking here today is that broader piece, like how do we sort of retain women in these roles? And I just, 
there's one thing getting them in, but then it's like, what? Well, then it's sort of that leaky bucket of effect. Well, they sort of out, they're sort of coming in, and then twelve months, eighteen months, they they go on to something else. Then, so it doesn't really solve the problem long term. And and yes, exactly. So we talked a little bit about you know the fact that it's maybe a once off um, program, and it doesn't set up some guardrails, I guess, to help that person on a long term basis. And I guess working with the community um, or community groups or associations is one way to to keep that longevity because, you know, associations will be there throughout the career and life of that particular person, no matter which organisation they are kind of in. Um, and it's also about that top-down kind of organisations needing to um, to be aware of, 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 you know, some of these issues and what they need to do to make it um, a more welcoming and open uh you know uh area for people to um, get into Mm. and i don't think it's sort of like a silver bullet solution to the problem like i said every company is different people have different challenges i think also by you guys going out and do that rudimentary research will help provide insights and see where the trends are uh to be able to inform the decisions that are made off mathematical uh evidence not just anecdotally speaking like thinking off the top of your head on this could be the reason this is what we should do about it whereas you've got that that science behind the decisions that are made yeah because a lot of the decisions as we mentioned very early on in the podcast are kind of out of a lot of the company's hands you know um, a lot of the time it can be for personal reasons that they might leave and that's something that an organisation might not be able to um, influence, obviously. Um, and these programs, you know, there's all types of different people that come into the programs and, you know, for different reasons or another, they it may be successful and it may not be successful. So I think just being, um, being, being make, the simple fact of actually putting money into this because they recognise that we need to do something is is good and these programs are good i think um it's just we need to um, on the other side make sure that we're making it um the most successful programs as possible i guess in terms of the longevity of it Mm. and would you say in recent years that more women so to speak have felt more Mm -hmm. confident coming forward about the actual reality of their environments, their culture, their managers or whoever, their colleagues, rather than maybe 10 years ago? Yes, definitely, yeah. I think it because there's a lot of, obviously, media about this at the moment, so a, a lot more people are talking about, you know, these experiences that they're um, having and it's about knowing that they're not alone. A lot of them probably thought, okay, it was just me in this that I experienced this, but once they start to speak to others and now that it's in the news, they feel a bit more confident about maybe talking about it and sharing, oh, yeah, that happened to me too kind of thing. So this may, this may be a hard question to answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Would you say in your experience and what you've seen, the women that are leaving have had more issues predominantly with men or predominantly with women? Which one sort of has been heavier weighted? <laughs> That's an interesting question. 
I'm just curious both. because I, I see don't know both. which one it's more of. I've I seen feel both. like it could be women, which sort of blows my mind uh, from what I've had conversations with. Because everyone's saying, oh, it's men, it's men, it's men. And it's like, mm. no, it's, it's definitely not just men. No, it's females. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, mm. it's, it, it's, it can be men and women. So, um, and I can't say to be exact. I feel that. Maybe I've heard it's equal. equally the most amount. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I say this because security is predominantly men, but I also want to I also want to preface this by saying that we're not having a go at men or women, we're just talking about the issues, but also knowing yes. that a lot of men do stand behind a lot of women, and I know there are a lot of men out there that do stand behind what I do as well. So I when people say it's only men, I'm very cautious about that because I don't believe that that's the reality. And I would 100% agree with you on that. I, I'm, even though I lead a, obviously a women in security group, I we never would be where we are without the advocates behind what we do. And there are so many incredible men that back up what we do, support us, and support women in their organisations, and are, are really doing um, you know a lot of work to support us. So I. I genuinely believe that as well. And I, and as I mentioned before, I, I have to say that I've been really lucky and the men that have really helped me in my career, I will always be thanking them <laughs> and I always do thank them um, because, you know, without them I, I wouldn't be where I am today or would have learnt the things that I've learnt or experienced things that I've experienced. No, oh, that's wonderful. I'm really glad to hear you say that because it's not often that people would speak like that. So I'm sure that... Um, they would be very grateful for that. So, Jackie, just to wrap up, because this is an executive podcast, perhaps, I know we spoke about a few things here today, but as a recap, what are your top three sort of items you could provide to people as advice after they finish listening to this interview that they can take away around sort of the retention of female talent but aren't really sure where to start? So the first thing I think is to instill an attitude that, you know, anyone in an organisation can be a leader, male or female. And if you see somebody that's really valuable in your team, give them a chance and encourage them to take up those opportunities. Um, so that's one thing that I think is, is, is important. The second thing that I think is that can really help is that equal opportunity when it comes to flexible working, equal for men as well as equal for women for not just family reasons, but also for life choices. So that's about providing, you know, um, you know, flexible working, like job sharing opportunities or to allow for, you know, compressed weeks or things like that and um, maternity leave, etc. The third thing is that I really am, I've been trying to push this, is that we need to start hiring um, if we want to, to really make a difference in turning the dial, we need to start hiring women in teams. So hiring women that have really great aptitude, attitude and potential and hiring them in numbers of two or three, you know, two or three or even teams of them. And the reason behind that is that it can be really hard to be the only female in a, in a team. So if you're going to, and, and especially if it's a very male-dominated um, department, for example, Mm. Just having that other person that's very similar to you um, can be really 
uh, great as an ally to have that in the team. And it's the same for and um, in every other area of diversity as well. You know, hire two of that same um, neurodiversity or you know ethnic diversity, age, etc. Um, whatever you're wanting to try and increase in terms of the diversity in your team. Um, I'm not saying hire every all these different people. It's just you know it it would be if you're going to hire one, hire two if you can. Yeah, so it feels like there's a little bit of that camaraderie between each other. And I, I know what it's like to work as the only female in a team and the, it can it can become a bit of a boys' club. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that because it makes sense because they're all men apart from yourself. So I, I totally get why that's there and it's warranted, right? But then, of course, it can sometimes be a little off-putting and so even like the team events and stuff are sort of more male-related activities. Uh, so if you get sort of that balance there, perhaps it'll... It'll just, like you said, it'll it'll build that well-rounded team. People won't feel so, not ostracised, but perhaps not so alone. Wonderful. Well, Jackie, I really appreciated your thoughts here today. I do appreciate that I did ask you some tough questions and you, you answered them well. So I really appreciate that. And, I, and like I said, I, I really just want honest and real answers. This podcast is about stripping back all of the political correctness and just getting people the answers that they that they need uh, that they are asking out there so really do appreciate that if people do have a question that i didn't ask you today how can they go about getting in contact with you so they can get in contact with me uh, via linkedin it's probably the the best way wonderful well really appreciate your time once again and i can't wait to get you back Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media the voice of cyber.